So the question is, how does one create, build, and protect and multiply your wealth in a global interconnected economy where change is happening rapidly and constantly and financial markets are rigged to benefit financial institutions and enrich corporate insiders? I've made it my mission to uncover how you can create, protect, and multiply your wealth in any economy and have interviewed the top investors and wealth experts for over three years. I share what I've learned from them and continue to learn on my journey. I'm MC Lobsher, and this is Cashflow Investing Secrets. MC Lobsher here. Thank you so much for spending your most valuable resource, your time once again with me on the Cashflow Investing Secrets podcast, the show where cash is not king, cashflow is king. Everything Cashflow Ninja is at cashflowninja.com. If you haven't signed up for our newsletter, you could do so at cashflowninja.com forward slash subscribe. I'm putting so much energy into our newsletter and writing these emails personally. Uh, So when you sign up for our newsletter, not only will you get golden nuggets delivered straight to your inbox from me to you, but you will be uh, informed of everything that's going on uh, with the Cashflow Ninja and also where you will be able to find us, what platform or platforms you'll be able to, to find us in case we should vanish from <laughs> one particular platform. Do so at CashflowNinja.com and also grab a copy of the book, The 21 Based Cashflow Niches. If you haven't, you can do so at CashflowNinja.com. Uh, when you grab a copy of the book, which is also available on Amazon.com, please screenshot a proof of your purchase and send it to my team at info at cashflowninja.com. And we will give you access to a digital version of the book to read it on Kindle, audio version of the book if you just want to listen to it while you're driving or working out or just relaxing, a curated library of interviews of the Cashflow Ninjas discussing these niches so you don't have to listen to 850 episodes and more bonus goodies at cashflowninja.com or Amazon is where you can find the 21 based cashflow niches. By the way, great time to diversify income streams in a very uncertain world, which is full of disruption, full of chaos, and full of craziness. In today's episode, I want to talk about Bretton Woods 3. There was recently a report written by a gentleman called Zoltan Pozor for Credit Suisse for their clients. You could find it online now. It's available with the heading Bretton Woods 3. And I thought to myself, wow, it's here. Um, this is this is essentially part of everything that we've shared for the past two to three years. This is part of the Great Reset, which is the resetting and the controlled collapse of all systems and structures, which you and I have taken for granted our entire life. And most folks that don't understand what's going on right now and that don't see this coming, their world will be turned upside down. Very quickly, by the way, too, because things are moving at a speed which is unbelievable. And again, you can be fearful, you could be doomy or gloomy or realized that this is the most exciting time to be alive on this spinning ball of dirt because the opportunities in reset time is going to be incredible for those 
that wish to see it and that know what's going on, understand the dangers that are out there, but seize the abundance of opportunities and also know and understand what skill sets and capabilities and relationships they need to capitalize on all of this. Building wealth in reset times is a mission year. Again, appreciate everyone that's sharing what we do here with your family, your friends, your colleagues at work or your network. Please share this information. It's very powerful. We're trying to reach as many people as we can. So we're in the great reset now. And I get the question, MC, when is the reset happening? When is the reset? Folks, it's here. We are in reset. The great reset is here. It's not a singular event. It is a series of events that will stack on one another and compound that will eventually lead to a moment of capitulation, which will bring about a massive crisis. And that will be the one event that people will point to and say, wow, the reset is here. The crisis is here. The collapse is here. That's how it usually goes. You know, when you look at um, big moments in history, it's not a singular thing. It was a series of events that, uh, that, that stacked and compounded and led to that one thing which we point at. Case in point, 2008 financial crisis. Most of us will look at the 2008 financial crisis and think, oh my gosh, that's when those folks walked out of Lehman Brothers with all of their belongings because Lehman Brothers don't exist anymore. Again, that was the capitulation, the moment of capitulation. And that one singular event that brought about the massive crisis, the stock market collapse, the real estate collapse. But before that, there was a series of events that stacked that compounded, that led to that. Watch the big short. Everybody on the inside saw exactly what was happening and they knew what was coming and they positioned themselves for that. And a lot of them was on the right side, by the way, of that massive, massive capital and wealth transfer. For the most people, you know, most people got, got clobbered. They got hurt financially and was on the wrong side of that. But there were folks that profited, that put themselves on the right side of that capital and wealth transfer. Because remember, there's no money heaven. There's no capital heaven. It doesn't disappear. It changes hands. So back to Bretton Woods 3. With that in mind, that it's not a single event, but it is a series of events that stack, compound, and that will bring about that moment of capitulation, which will bring about the crisis with that kind of framework and backdrop to look at this. Let's take a look at where, um, where we are now. Uh, but first, let's take a look at how we got here. So Bretton Woods 3. Well, what was Bretton Woods 2 and what was Bretton Woods 1? Well, Bretton Woods 1 was essentially, uh, I mean, this was the uh, well the the negotiation and the uh, est establishment of uh, of a new global monetary uh, system and Bretton Woods one happened in 1944 
in Bretton Woods, New Hampshire. And of course, this was around the end of the Second World War. Now, the Second World War was a very, very interesting war. You know, the First World War was very bloody, was very violent. You know, they called the, the, the First World War the war to end all wars, but it didn't. Uh, war is very profitable. So there's a lot of incentives for folks to keep doing wars. Um, but essentially, you had in 1913, the Federal Reserve Bank was created through the Federal Reserve Act, signed into law by Woodrow Wilson. The U.S. got involved into World War One. World War One was finished after World War One. Uh, Germany was blamed for everything at the Treaty of Versailles, um, and of course, this eventually led to the rise of Adolf Hitler um, and the National Socialist in, in Germany, which led to the Second World War. Um, and then, of course, at towards the end of, 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 of World War II, um, there were victors and there were folks that lost, you know, just like with every war. Most people actually lose at war. There's really no winners besides for the war profiteers and, and some folks in position of power. But um, again, Germany lost the Second World War with, uh, with, with Japan uh, and with Italy. Um, and of course, you had the Allied forces, which was the majority of the, of the other countries, ending up on the winning side. Now, one country established itself as the global superpower, unmatched during World War II, and that was the United States. Um, World War II was mainly fought in Europe and also in Asia, Asia but there was no war fought uh, on the U.S. homeland. Um, there was, of course, the attack at Pearl Harbor in Hawaii um, by Japan on the United States, but there was no war fought on the American homeland So, and mainland. So the United States was not destroyed and bombed into uh, just pieces of rubble like most of Europe and Asia. And the United States actually became a um, manufacturing giant because you needed goods and services for the war and for the countries that were involved in the war. The United States was producing and, uh, and manufacturing all these goods and services and then sending it to the um, to the countries that was involved with this war. Uh, trade deficits were settled in, in gold uh, back then too. So what happened was the United States, no wars fought on the American mainland and just absolutely getting this economic boom, this manufacturing boom um, and selling all of these goods and services to other countries um, was in a position of power because everybody uh, had a trade deficit with the United States. So gold came back to the United States. And it was warehouse at Federal Reserve branches, such as the one in New York and also Fort Knox and in other areas. The world's gold was coming into the United States. Um, so, uh, you know, at the end of the war, the United States uh, a, established itself as a global superpower uh, from a military standpoint, from an economic uh, standpoint, um, and ended up with most of the world's gold. And you know the saying, and you know I love butchering <laughs> quotes, but he who has the gold makes the rules. So at Bretton Woods, New Hampshire, in 1944, 
Bretton Woods won, the United States uh, became the country that um, got uh, the world's reserve currency established as the U.S. dollar. So the U.S. dollar became the world reserve currency, and it was there was uh, it was backed to a point by with gold. There was a price between the U.S. dollar and 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 gold, uh, a ratio. So countries could hold the U.S. dollars as reserves because it's the U.S. world reserve currency, but they could exchange those dollars for gold um, when they wanted to. So that was Bretton Woods one. Right after the Second World War, of course, shortly thereafter, the United States got involved in Korea. Uh, and then, of course, they got involved in more wars in, in Southeast Asia, more specifically Vietnam. So wars cost a lot of money. Um, and the US, U.S. government was spending a lot of money on um, these overseas adventures. At the same time, after the assassination of John F. Kennedy, Lyndon Baines Johnson came in and he started all these social welfare programs, the Great Society programs, which, of course, cost a lot of money, too. So you had the warfare state um, that costs a lot of money and you have the welfare state, which costs a lot of money. So essentially, the United States was spending like a drunken sailor on wars and welfare. And most of the countries around the world started to pay attention because they looked at this and said, wow, the United States has the world reserve currency with the U.S. dollar. And look at what they're doing. They're spending like drunken sailors. I think we should maybe take some of our dollars and exchange them for gold, which, of course, started to happen. And. This brought about panic in the United States when countries started to redeem dollars for gold. And then, so much so that the world was paying attention of what was going on. Uh, by the end of the 1960s, um, DSTR was established by the International Monetary Fund. Special drawing rights. It's a basket of currencies. So you can already see that the International Monetary Fund started to look at what was going on in the United States and said, man... The federal between the Federal Reserve and the U.S. government, uh, man, mon fiscal and monetary policy. The, I mean, there's literally, you know, the Federal Reserve is just creating money. Like, like it's 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 just crazy times. And of course, the U.S. government is spending it on on wars and on on social uh, social programs and welfare. So. They saw it, everybody saw it, and there became a moment which became Bretton Woods II. In 1971, August 15th, Richard Nixon started to see that there was essentially, by many definitions, a run on the gold uh, that was held in the United States. And he closed the gold window. He closed the convertibility of U.S. dollars to uh, gold. So countries could, that held U.S. dollars could no longer exchange their dollars for gold. And so a new global monetary system was created, and this was Bretton Woods too. Um, because essentially what happened there was he took the world off completely off the gold standard. It became, you know, the, uh, it, it's, every single currency on the planet became a fiat currency, which was a fiat currency is issued by decree or fiat, 
and it's enforced by legal tender laws. And then, of course, that led to a lot of a lot of problems, a lot of challenges, right? The 70s, anybody that lived through that can tell you there was a there was uncertainty, there was chaos, there was uh, gas shortages in the United States. Uh, there was massive inflation in 1974. Uh, Delegations of the U.S. government met with uh, representatives of the Saudi government, and they actually came to an agreement which established the petrodollar, which is still part of Bretton Woods too. But essentially, what that meant was the Saudis would sell their oil priced only in U.S. dollars. The U.S. would buy Saudi oil, and the dollars that they received for the oil would then be used to buy uh, bonds in the United States, U.S. Uh, bonds. So the petrodollar was created as part of uh, Bretton Woods too. Massive inflation in the 70s, which of course led to a lot of different crises. Uh, Paul Volcker eventually had to, to step in to fight inflation, and he was the last um, chairman of the Federal Reserve that did so. Everyone else just you know, reinflate bubble after bubble in this boom bust cycle, which we've had for, you know, over a century. So that was Bretton Woods too. Now bring it forward to today where we are. As you can see, most uh, monetary systems lost about 30 to 40 years. And we have shared on the show that right now, if you look at what is being put out by uh, the Bank of International Settlements, which is the central bank of central banks, the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, what leaders all over the world are saying, what um, banking leaders are saying, you know, all you need to do is take your favorite search engine and type in a new Bretton Woods moment. Um, a new Bretton Woods moment is needed and you'll find news articles all over the place since 2020 this has been something that has been publicly uttered by all of these leaders all over the world and all of these bankers. They've all talked about we need a new Bretton Woods agreement. We need a new Bretton Woods moment. And this is where Bretton Woods 3 comes in. It is essentially the renegotiation which has been taking place since 2020, if you could read between the lines, they're very open about this, that since 2020, there has been a renegotiation behind the scenes going on um, by world leaders and by bankers to establish a new monetary system. It's happening. And now with this report from Zoltan Pozar, right out of Wall Street to their clients from Credit Suisse, um, folks are now openly talking about what is actually going, what has been going on behind the scenes. A new monetary system is in the process of being created. Now, what he was sharing in this in this report uh, was, of course, something that we all just saw, which could be the um, catalyst to uh, to really uh, speed up the monetary system renegotiations. So of course, where we are at right now, um, and you know, if we just recap since 2019, September of 2019, there was a massive uh, problem in the repo markets, um, so much so that banks didn't trust each other's collateral. So there was already problems in 2019 in 
the uh, monetary system, in the global financial system. Uh, in 2020, early 2020, uh, we started to see a virus uh, that hit the shores of every single uh, country all over the world. Uh, which led into March of the 2020 to 14 days or two weeks to slow the spread. And since then, we've seen one crisis after another crisis, um, which brings us to the crisis of the moment, the war between Russia and, and, and Ukraine. And while a lot of folks are focusing on the war and just looking at the war, there's a lot of things going on uh, behind the scenes and also surrounding that war. Now, again, I don't want to um, just brush the war itself aside. It's terrible. Human lives are lost in every single war, and it's mostly innocent people, folks. War is terrible. There's no winners, really, in any single war. The only people winning are war profiteers and bankers in, in wars. Um, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's the regular people like us that that end up suffering, and and most uh, uh, innocent civilians, um, you know, they cop the majority of the suffering. Um, so it's terrible. It's of course terrible. But putting that aside, let's look at the other things that's going on surrounding that war. It's pretty interesting stuff. Um, one of the main trends has been uh, censorship and. Uh, seizures of bank accounts and assets. We saw that with the Canadian truckers, where Canadian truckers and the people that supported them, essentially there were bank accounts frozen, financial services were no longer available to them. Um, and um, that was a theme. And now all of a sudden, boom, that moved to moves, moves to Russia. All of a sudden, the Russian uh, foreign reserves held in dollars and euros, about half of them, about, about 300, uh, what is it, billion dollars, was frozen and seized. A sovereign nation's foreign reserves just got frozen and seized. The implication of that is much bigger than I think anyone has shared on any platform. Uh, just think about it this way, right? So the U.S., uh, the U.S. dollar is the world reserve currency, and of course, the euro is a, a very, very uh, powerful currency because essentially all of the European nations use that currency. So the United States government and the European countries, part of the European Union, uh, seized half of a foreign nation's sovereign, a sovereign nation, uh, uh, foreign reserves without due process, okay, regardless of what you're, what, where you stand on the war. <laughs> Let's put that all aside. There was no due process. So all of a sudden, if you are any country on this planet right now, seeing what's going on, you're probably thinking, oh, my goodness, they just did that to Russia? What if they do that to us? Should we limit our exposure to U.S. dollars and to euros? Should we have less, should we be holding less foreign reserves in US dollars and euros? That's only, I mean, if you think about this objectively and critically, why, I mean, I cannot see another leader not thinking that, um, you know, and, and people around the country. So again, just like in the 60s and, you know, 
as we, we went into 1970s, the whole world was seeing what was happening and how the U.S. government uh, was spending like drunken sailors and how the, the uh, Federal Reserve Bank was just creating and creating more, more uh, currency units. The same thing is happening here where the whole world just took notice and looked at that and said, whoa, that is crazy. We're going to have to limit our exposure or keep less U.S. dollars or less, less euros. And you're already starting to see that, by the way. Just, again, go into your favorite search engine and look, look up, um, you know, different countries actually now making statements of saying, man, <laughs> whoa, this is, uh, this is kind of crazy uh, of what's happening here. So that, that happened. Now, that's big picture. Right, that's big picture on a on a on a on an international scale. Then they also went after the oligarchs, regardless of what you think about Russian oligarchs uh, and how they made their money. By the way, we've already we already knew how they made their money, uh, and we've already known about Russian oligarchs for a long time since the nineties. Um, it never became an issue, and nothing was ever done by it. And by the way, um. They could buy, I don't know, football teams in the UK, like Chelsea with Abramovich, um, you know. And, and so everybody's known about that, about them, um, known about how they made their money, um, and they were welcomed everywhere. Their money was welcomed. Uh, their um, their yachts, you know, their their assets, they were welcomed everywhere. All of a sudden now. Uh, they're starting to seize and freeze assets of these Russian oligarchs, um, again, without due process, regardless of what you think about them. Fun fact, in the West, we don't have oligarchs. We have titans of industry and philanthropists. Only the Russians have oligarchs, remember? We don't have them in the West at all. Um, but anyway, so you had that going on. Then, of course, you had Visa, MasterCard. Um, you know, uh, obviously um, pulling out of Russia. There's a, there's union pay available, by the way, for most folks that have traveled around the world. Um, you know, I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, but there's other options than Visa and MasterCard. Um, so anyway, Visa and MasterCard pulled out. And then, of course, the big one was SWIFT, which is a payment settlement system internationally, um, which is, you know, the, 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 the main one. Um, and of course, the Russians were uh, sanctioned and kicked out of SWIFT. They already have a similar structure in place already with China called SIPS. So there's already alternative uh, alternatives to SWIFT. There's alternatives to Visa and MasterCard. Um, and then, of course, you know, one of the things uh, that I also saw was, again, Russian citizens had crypto accounts frozen. No, they have nothing to do with any of this, but they, of course, are collateral damage in this, you know, this, this the sanctions. Um, so anyway, so um, big theme here then is the rule of law is essentially gone. If you could just essentially steal a sovereign nation or sovereign country's foreign reserves, because that's essentially what it was, it's theft. So there's no rule of law. Um, there was no due process in doing that, which leads to why would you why would you hold a foreign reserves in dollars or euros if it can just be stolen? A lot of countries are thinking this way. And then the second theme is 
separate financial or monetary systems and separate systems are starting to emerge. There's a system in the West with SWIFT uh, and with the US dollar and with the Euro and with Visa and with MasterCard. And now there's a separate system starting to emerge between Russia and China and the other BRIC uh, nations, which includes, of course, SIPs and of uh, union, union pay and, and so forth. And now another thing that is very, very interesting to understand is, again, if we go back to Bretton Woods 1, where we saw a lot of um, gold that came to the United States because of trade deficits that were settled, Russia and China has been buying gold like it's... Uh, you know, like gangbusters for the past couple of years. And they've really stocked up on gold reserves. So they hold a lot of the world's uh, gold right there, uh, which, again, if you remember the quote, he who has the gold makes the rules. Uh, the third theme that I would say, the first theme was no rule of law, no due process. The second theme is separate systems emerging. Um the uh, the third theme that I would say is there is a uh, movement of power and capital from the West to the East because of the sanctions that have been enforced by the West on Russia. Um, so there are more and more folks now because of the natural resources that, let's just say, Russia has that will need to find a way to do business with them. Because if what, 25% of your wheat's in the world's coming out of there and all of those oil and gas, just think of the oil and gas that, that uh, Russia supplies to, uh, to Europe and you know the ingredients of fertilizer that's also coming out of that part of the world. There's a lot of things that, that supply to the world from Russia. So how the, how's the rest of the world going to get that now? Well, they're going to be forced to then move over to the other system that Russia has in place or play by their rules. Russia might say, you know, hey, we have our trade partners that are friendly with us and we'll use our own payment systems with them, whether it's SIPs or union pay and so forth. But unfriendly nations, yeah, we'll still supply you with goods and services, but you're going to have to pay us in gold. You know, so there's a lot of ways that this could go down. But what will happen is capital will move over into the different system out of the Western system to the Eastern system because countries are still dependent on a lot of goods and services that come out of the East. So you're essentially creating a bottleneck which is forcing capital to move from West to East. And this, my friends, is why I am stating that Bretton Woods 3 is already happening right now. How it will go down, I have no idea. I don't have a crystal ball. But you could see it happening. Um, and one thing that I will share about that is that, um, you know, from a, a negotiation standpoint, to negotiate and, have a, and, and from a position of power, of course, yeah, you're going to have to have a very strong military. You're going to have to have a lot of gold. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, the other thing that I also wanted to point um, and touch on that Zoltan Polzar talked about 
in this article, this report that he did, Bretton Woods 3, is the concepts of inside money and outside money. Now, um, Bretton Woods 1 still had gold backing, right? The original Bretton Woods agreement, you can exchange your US dollars for gold. So essentially, the foundational piece for that was still commodity-backed, which was gold. So um, it then switched in Bretton Woods 2 to um, away from away from commodities and, and, and the gold backing to then essentially, uh, I would say, uh, vehicles with a lot of counterparty risk. You know, because we, we essentially then had a debt-based monetary system. So every single dollar that you have that's an asset of yours is a liability on someone else's books. Uh, a mortgage could be uh, a liability or it could be an asset, depending on what, which book, whose books it's on. Bonds is either an asset or a liability, right? Debt. Um, think of sovereign debt. Think of U.S. bonds. Um, so it moved to that kind of world. And that's what he talks about. He talks about inside and outside money. So essentially, inside money is all of these counterparty risk vehicles, whether it be money itself, which we're living in a debt-based monetary system. So money is debt. If you can wrap your head around that, read The Creature from Jekyll Island, if you really want to deep dive into that. But money is debt. Every dollar bill that you have is a liability on someone else's books. Um, Bonds. Which is debt is either someone's asset or or liability. Um, so all these the the this this inside money is this counterparty risk vehicles. The outside money is gold, silver, and commodities, and you could put Bitcoin into that too. So what Zoltan Polzner was saying was essentially we went from outside money, gold backing, commodity. Uh, sort of uh, money being the foundational part of the monetary system in 1944. And it moved to inside money, which created this world uh, debt-based monetary system uh, based on vehicles with all this counterparty risk. And what he is saying in Bretton Woods 3, we will likely have a move back to outside money where the gold, the silver, the commodities, and Bitcoin will play a role um, to be uh, a piece of the foundation on which this new agreement will be renegotiated. Again, very interesting take, very interesting read, very interesting to think about. Nobody is a crystal ball of how this is going to go down, what Bretton Woods 3 is going to look like, but it's interesting to understand what has happened um, to bring us to this point and what are some of the, the things happening right now, um, which we are going to look back and say, wow, when that happened, that triggered uh, basically this, this, uh, this renegotiation of the world monetary system and, and took it to another level. It just accelerated it. Um, and then we'll see eventually what this new um, monetary system is going to look like. You know, obviously, we've covered central bank digital currencies, which will play a role uh, in every single country. They've already been tested. They are ready to roll out. Uh, they just need the, the right crisis um, uh, 
to play out to become a solution to that crisis, right? We've covered that on the show before. Uh, problem, reaction, solution is the Hegelian dialectic. It's, um, you know, you create a problem or a crisis, um, which then generates a reaction, fear, hysteria, panic, and then you bring in the solution to the problem which you had sitting on the shelf the entire time. So you could see a little bit of that too with central bank digital currency. So very, very, very interesting stuff. As I mentioned, and I'm, <laughs> I was not kidding, we are living during one of the most interesting times in human history. Um, we are living during the Great Reset. And right in front of our eyes, for anyone that is paying attention, uh, that is not crawled up in a bowl, um, you know, paralyzed by fear or distracted with sports ball and brackets for basketball tournaments and celebrities slapping each other and that kind of stuff. For the folks that are paying attention and keeping their eyes open and seeing what's going on in the world, you can see this playing out behind the scenes. You could see the entire world global monetary system being renegotiated in real time, what this will look like. Again, it's going to be very, very interesting to see what this will look like when the dust settles. Um, and I'm going to end off with this. I mentioned in the beginning that um, with every crisis, there's a series of events that stack on, on top of one another that compounds and leads to a capitulation and to a critical event, which everybody will remember. Remember the Lehman Brothers collapse and the, the Bear Stearns collapse. Um, we are seeing a series of events now aggressively being stacked and aggressively compounding, which leads me to believe that we're very, very close to this inflection point, this capitulation, where um, we're going to have that moment of essentially the one domino falling and knocking over all of the dominoes, which will bring about a crisis where this new monetary renegotiation um, and the results of the renegotiation will be rolled out to the public. Um, I'm going to share in future episodes more about this as this unfolds, but be aware of what's happening. Be aware of, of, of the different things happening, the different scenarios of how this could play out and prepare for any outcome. Uh, that's, uh, that's my philosophy, as you know by now. Prepare for any and every outcome to protect yourself, your family, your business, and your investments during reset times, because my friends, this is an incredible opportunity to build wealth beyond your wildest imagination. Um, this is the opportunity that's in front of us. So do not squander this. I appreciate you. Check out everything at cashflowninja.com. Until next time, live infinitely. If you are interested in learning more about cash flow investing, I have compiled the 21 best cash flow investing strategies I have come across studying millionaires and billionaires for two decades and interviewing over 500 successful investors and wealth experts. You can grab the 21 cash flow investing strategy secrets at 21cashflowinvestingsecrets.com. That's 21, the number, cashflowinvestingsecrets.com.